Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. I'm your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 44. So for those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy questions like, is it socially acceptable to cry at the end of Rudy? Would Swingers Vince Vaughn beat Wedding Crashers Vince Vaughn in a fight? And was Clueless the greatest high school movie of all time? No quote too minor, no plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into today's topic, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld level daily observations. So was in the shower today and doing my classic shower thought rituals. You know, I'm self-debating Parks and Rec over the office, which is the right way to think about it, by the way. I'll fight anyone who thinks the office is better. Was Omar an overrated character on The Wire? And I won't divulge my uh, thoughts now. I'll leave that to a later podcast. That's what we call in the industry a tease. Yeah, that's my first tease. I've, I've learned from some podcasts you want to imply that you're going to talk about something and you're like, oh, I want to wait and stick around for that. I mean, ESPN does the best job of it. It's like, stick around in two minutes, we're talking. It's like, will LeBron quit the NBA and play soccer? You're like, what? How can that be? And then you turn out, turn around and it turns out he played FIFA uh, online for two seconds. And it's not a story, but it keeps you involved. And I was asking other questions like, is Law & Order a great show or is it just addicting? I'm on the camp. I think it's just addicting. I just think there's something about murder and intrigue and cops investigating people roughly that just is endlessly watchable no matter how badly written it is. So these are typical shower thoughts. And then I had the creeping realization kind of dawn on me as I grabbed the shampoo bottle. I think we've all had this. I asked myself, had I already done my shampoo, conditioner, rinse cycle? Or was this the first go around today? And it's such a humiliating situation because you're naked, you're wet, you're in this little box and there's nothing else to focus on except cleaning your body and your hair. And somehow you can't recall an action that you did or didn't do 30 to 45 seconds ago. I felt like Lenny and Memento, just no memory whatsoever. So I decided I need a little waterproof wall stick-on sheet where I can remove an arrow that says did and did it in terms of hair care. But then I realized if I put it in the did position and then I pop it in the shower next time and forget that I need to put it back into the didn't, then I'm in the same situation. So it's so simple a situation, yet it's so maddening. And I have no clear idea on how to resolve this. So please, if anyone's mastered this process, please enlighten me. Because I can't smell if I, that, that's like the logical thing. You try to smell if your hair is clean, but I don't have much hair and my nose is too far away from what hair I have left. So it's, I don't know. How do people do this? <laughs> this is adulting and I don't understand it. And speaking of big steps in adulting, uh, I found out today that the community intro for the television show on Netflix is exactly 20 seconds long, which is really important to me because for some god awful reason, Netflix decided to not put the skip intro button on community. It's like, Netflix, what are you doing? This is a show that people rip through the 20 minute episodes. People watch them in bunches. You want to move through the intro. And I'm not going to waste 20 seconds of my life when I don't have to. I got things to do. I got topics to pot about. So after four or five tries of figuring out the timing on the intro, and it's a terrible intro, by the way. It's just this little like origami, like remember it's like, do you like someone? And you kind of click it back and forth. It's like one, two, three, four, open up and it says yes or no. And it's just all the character title cards on that. And it's just bad. If I was thinking about good intros of shows, I'd go Hannibal with kind of a blood wine motif, 
Dexter was all colorful and bloody. And let's see, what else is good? Uh, Sopranos with Tony, you know, riding around in the SUV and the cigar to that great song about a gun. It's kind of like, it's a little bit retro funky. Um, what else? Family Matters was a fun one. I like Family Matters. It's corny, but fun. And what else would, was a good one? The Wire season two, because that was Tom Waits singing the song, but that's it. Like intros are not great for the most part. Even when they're great, you get sick of them. Like Orange is the New Black was an awesome one, but you got sick of it, you know, by five, six, and this one is not even on the same level as Orange is the New Black. So like I said, after four or five tries of figuring out the timing, I figured out it's two quick skip forwards of 10 seconds to skip till you get back to the content of the show. So that was a big step for me in adulting and, you know, kind of streamlining my day, saving myself, I don't know, two minutes. It's important. And I honestly don't know how I survived commercials and basic cable in the old days. I mean, my God, today's kids got it so easy. So speaking of easy, I decided to go super hard for my uh, topic today. I want to do like a Mount Everest level challenge because thus far I've dealt primarily with central characters on really popular shows, A-list movie star careers and ranking lists that give an abundance of topics to any reviewer who's worth their salt. I don't even know what that means. What, is, what does it mean when you're worth your salt? I mean, I love salt. I like to be worth a lot of it, but I have no idea what it means, but it sounds rugged. So I'm going to use it forever. But I didn't get into the podcast game to play by the rules. I'm not trying to follow cookie cutter molds. I came to redefine the genre. I want to shine light and recognition to ancillary characters on the margin of shows. And that's my goal today. So I wanted, I wanted to pick these one-note, high-energy kind of joy-bringers who rarely get the credit for elevating the show to new levels. So, I mean, I thought about the main ones, and you got the kind of – the central figure would be Seinfeld's Cosmo Kramer. You know, he's slamming doors. He's shimmying around Jerry's apartment, stealing food, you know, catchphrases and kind of jittery and, you know, just all around while raiding the fridge. And side note, would Seinfeld be friends with Kramer? I mean, Kramer's – pretty much a jerk to him he's just eating all his food he's using his house to bring girls over he's always got get rich quick schemes that never work out and borrowing money i don't know doesn't seem seinfeld tolerates him but i don't i don't see why they're friends i really don't and another one when you got rickety cricket from always sunny in philadelphia and he's being tricked and pushed by the gang to lower and lower depths of depravity for our viewing pleasure yeah it's a selfless gig you know these guys are just kind of flailing and being you know really, really high energy just for our pure joy. It's not for any uh, plot development or, I mean, I, I think it's gotta be a little humiliating to be these one note characters. So Rickety Cricket starts as a fully qualified and caring priest in Philadelphia. And he devolves into this heavily burn damaged, like really terrible smelling, drug obsessed street urchin, which they call him to his face. And I guess that doesn't sound nearly as fun as it is on the show, but you have to trust me. Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a little darker. It never works well when you're explaining it out of context. You just have to watch it. But, I mean, those two are just prototypes. The one that I picked is my favorite human version of Rainbow Sprinkles on a sitcom ice cream sundae. He's part Jim Carrey, Dash of Joker, a strong dose of millennial, ima- a millennial image obsessed moron. The one, the only, John Ralphio Saperstein. First of all, love the name, John Ralphio. I don't think even that was a name in the lexicon before the show made it up. And I almost named my dogs after him and his sister, Mona Lisa, inches away. But I have two bear cub looking Newfoundlands, so I had to go with Teddy and Bear. Just, I mean, just more fun, just cute. And plus, I just read a Teddy Roosevelt biography with my mom. 
and his role in the creation of the teddy bear. So it's too adorable a connection to pass up. So shout out mom for picking that book. It's a fun book. Teddy Roosevelt is a really cool dude, actually. You should look it up. He was insane, but eh, I don't want to talk about it. Maybe I'll do a pod about Teddy Roosevelt, the original sitcom reality star. Hmm, that could work. I could, I could make that work. Why has there never, not been a good biography about him? There should be like Leonardo DiCaprio should make a movie about him or something. That seems, that seems like something that fell through the cracks. Maybe I'll make it. But anyways, John Ralphio. So John Ralphio is Tom Haverford's best bud on the classic sitcom Parks and Rec. And he isn't even one of the top 10 central characters to the show. I don't think he's billed in the opening credits. But when he's on screen, nothing else matters. Like, he's flamboyance turned up to 4,000%. He's this tall, thin, long-limbed kind of creature that's only directive is to be over the top. I mean, he, there's never a scene where he's mild. There's never a scene where he's reserved. There's never a scene where he's self-reflecting. Uh, he's just there for laughs. And I love that. You know, just... Stay in your lane, be what you are, and he is there to turn up the joke meter to 14. And he, so, well, like, let's get to know him a little bit. He's a classic trust fund kid. He even calls himself a trust, trust fund baby, you know, self-effacing, love that, who's only interested in where the next good time can be had. And although he's such a screw-up, his parents, he's such a, I mean, like, he, he's a screw-up, but you love him. But the funny thing is, you know, he's a trust fund kid. Uh, his parents had the trust fund amended, so he doesn't get any of it till he's 50. So, I mean, that just, it brings up so many questions. Who could this possibly be that he's this messed up and this terrible that his parents are like, you're not getting this until you're a half a century old. So he wants to be an entrepreneur or business mogul, but he has 0% work ethic uh, to get any of the dreams done. He's like a living, breathing Twitter feed with kind of a dash of Instagram. He's all flash, he's no substance. <laughs> And it's just fun to watch him. You know, I mean, he's just got on the latest pair of pastel Nikes. He's got the thinnest jeans or joggers imaginable. They're just painted onto his, you know, thin legs. Got these loud blazers, deep V-neck shirts. I'm talking like Michael Douglas and Basic Instinct deep, where like the chest hair you're seeing all the way down to the happy trail kind of stuff. Those are, I mean, that's an aggressive look. And it's like middle of the day. He'll just be going to see Tom at work at uh, the Parks and Rec Center. And he's just, bam. Like he's got a shirt that's ready for the club wearing multiple scarves at the same time and he's got this unbelievable quaff unruly black wavy hair and it feels more fitting for a peacock than a human it is i mean the only person that can even compare to it is uh, steve on stranger things and i think they've done youtube videos where they joke at their brothers because they do look kind of similar but like i said i'm a man losing my hair so i admire and almost drool over excellent male hair styles and this dude has a plume it is just He's probably four or five inches taller with the hair. It's fan. I don't know what kind of product he has on it. It feels kind of natural. It doesn't feel like greasy. I mean, it is, it's a good bowl of lettuce. I need more terms for hair too. I like bowl of lettuce, but I'll think of some more. So he's just this walking, talking billboard for like the vanity and idiocy of American youth. You know, he's the ultimate millennial, like whatever boomers hate, you know, youth, this is why he's, he's the reason there's actually the stereotype is true. And it is John Ralphio incarnate, but, 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 but he's the most self-aware person on the show, which is crazy because he tells people directly about his shortcomings and self implosions. And he's got zero hesitation, zero pause. And he, he flips around and admits things so quickly that it's almost jarring. It's just hilarious. Cause no one really talks like that. Everyone tries to kind of hide their, or hide their blemishes, but he's just like, yep, this is me. So someone once asked him on the show why he's the way he is, 
and he cups his hand through his mouth and just screams, pills, baby. It's just like, who says that? That I'm addicted to pills, but in like a happy way. That's, I mean, I mean, in real life, you'd be like, this guy needs help. But in a show, in a light, you know, format, it, it's really funny. And when he gets fired from a job his father forced him into, 15 seconds into his employment, he simply changes directions and says, like, good choice. Is the door that way? Like, he's just unfazed by anything. And he's dancing 75% of the time he's on screen. I wonder what his actual screen time is on the totality of the show. There's probably, I don't know, maybe an hour worth of, I mean, there's six seasons, 25 episodes of pop. And he, or the last season was only 12 episodes or so, but still a lot of episodes. I think he's on screen maybe total of an hour overall, but you just remember him. And he's dancing 75% of the time he's on screen, which is great. Good dancer too. He's got those weird kind of long, lanky, almost pop and lock robotic kind of moves where it's kind of the internal dialogue. He's always saying, it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of dancing. And it seems like he's either going to or coming from an all-night rave at all times. It doesn't matter if it's morning. It doesn't matter if it's night. He's definitely just coming from a party or leaving a party. And that's just, it's just a fun character to watch. And oddly, Ben Swartz, who's the guy who's playing him, he's got this great tone of voice. And he's really peculiarly, peculiarly yeah, he's well-spoken. <laughs> I can't say the word peculiar. I can say peculiar. I can't say peculiarly. That's hard. So he's, he's just really well-spoken. And he's just spinning lies about his resume. He has stolen business ideas. And he can even rap on a professional level. It's really good. I think he actually could be kind of a, he could be like a little dicky kind of humor rapper. But in classic arrogant idiot fashion, he never finishes his raps on a rhyme. He kind of carelessly blows past the rhyme. He'll hit the rhyme at the end, but it'll blow past it. <laughs> and Tom will be like, you need to end it on the rhyme. He's like, I know, I know what I need to do, but he just can't do it. <laughs> He's a salt in the swag. He has endless catchphrases and him and Tom have these complicated handshakes that kind of end usually with a catchphrase like it's a winter wonderland or like I'm trying to think what else. But I mean, they just have fun, fun, silly handshakes that clearly took over an hour to memorize. He's spewing lies whenever it helps him get what he wants. You know, he loves talking to women. He brags about being flush with cash. <laughs> I mean, the reasons why are really hilarious too. He's not like, oh, I earned this, or, you know, oh, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, or this is how I got it. He goes, because my grandfather died, <laughs> or one time he just, he makes 500 grand because he got run over by a Lexus and got a monster civil suit, you know, settlement. And later, actually, he's like, you know, to get more money, maybe I'll get run over by a city bus. You know, he's a, cl- he's a classic get-rich-quick kind of guy. And he loves the most vapid stuff. He, he quotes from the movie Hitch which is, you know, I mean, just garbage. He loves the Fast and Furious franchise, which is watchable garbage. I love, I love Fast and Furious. We can talk about that later. But, you know, he just, he loves the stupid stuff that's just in pop culture, kind of uh, in the lexicon. He randomly dishes out nicknames. <laughs> uh, one time, Ben Wyatt, who's on the show, comes in and he's going to help them with their accounting. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to change your name. And he, he looks at Ben. He's like, you look like an Angelo. I'm just going to call you Angelo. And then five seconds later, he's like, no, I got, I got something better. You're going to be called Jello Shot. He's like, wait, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You're going to be called J-Shot. <laughs> and it's, that's over eight seconds on screen. You're just laughing your butt off. So he's got this rapid fire, high intensity performance, and it gives the show kind of an adrenaline shot. It's just this sparky kind of humor that is just, he just keeps the laughs coming. So I think he's the best example of this George Costanza theory that I have for wanting to leave people with more. And so there's an episode of Seinfeld where Jerry teaches George that when he has a good joke, 
when he's on stage, he kind of leaves. He's like, thank you. You've been great. You know, he just gets off stage. So he leaves on a high note, leaving people want more. So George applies that to his job, his life. So if he's in a meeting and he has a good joke, he just gets up and leaves. Or if he's with his girlfriend at dinner and he says a funny joke, he just gets up from the table and just leaves. And people just want more of that. And I think John Ralphio is the ultimate example of that because you always want more of him, but it's actually the perfect amount because he wouldn't work in a large role. It's too much energy. It's too absurd. I mean, the show, the characters are kind of stereotypes and a little bit silly sitcom characters, but they're grounded. You know I mean? They have level, they have levels and character arcs and they have meaning to their life. And he doesn't, he's just, he's, he's one level. He's on his, his lasers are set to, you know, kill hilarity wise. And so he's kind of the idea of eating th- ice cream for three meals a day. You know, when you're five, six years old, it sounds great in theory, but in reality, you'd be 500 pounds in like a month and a half. Teeth would be falling out. You'd have diabetes. I know it's diabetes, but I like saying diabetes, <laughs> just more fun. And eventually kind of the show would be dead. So I, I just don't think, I think they used him in the perfect way. So shout out to Michael Schur who wrote the show and I think created it as well. They, they used him perfectly. He's kind of like the Mariana, Mariana Rivera of the Yankee team that is this show. He's the closer. He's got only one deadly pitch, and that's amplified enthusiasm and humor. And he's just whipping it out for three outs every day. And he's also kind of like Mariana Rivera for another reason. Uh, he has no kind of memory of his shames or failures. He's just quick to forget. He simply moves on to the next adventure. And that's oddly admirable in a world of in this world of kind of overthinking and self-critical examination, he just thinks he's awesome. You know, 24, seven, 365. He doesn't care. He's just all about him. And he, like I said, he takes his run over by Alexis money, which is I think $540,000 to be exact. And Tom and him created an all media conglomerate called entertainment 720. And they burn through all their money and do zero work. I think in like a month and a half, two months, (laughs) And it's because they do stupid things like they buy like an air, they rent out an airplane hangar for their office, even though they don't even really need office space. And they rent NBA players to hang out. And the players they picked actually aged really poorly because Roy Hibbert was out of the league like two or three years afterwards. And we realized centers are no longer needed. And Detlef Shrimp, who sadly passed away, but they're actually really funny on the show. But uh, they buy $25,000 giant chairs to sit in. They have three or four secretaries making six figures just hanging out and they don't even need them. They just want to hang out with pretty girls. They're giving out iPads as gifts to anyone who comes by. So they obviously burn through all the cash. And by the end, they only have $10,000 left total between the two of them. And John Ralphie was like, er, stop. I have $10,000. That's amazing. And it's like, no, you burned through $540,000. And you'll work on my breaking skills. He's got good break. He got that little er noise to it. I can't do it. But, uh, not only is he joyous that he has the money left, he decides that him and Tom should throw an epic party for their success. <laughs> and like, what, what self-confidence, what self-love, you know what I mean? Like to make it in the world, I think you need the John Ralphio gene in you that you believe in yourself that much. So they just say, screw it. We're going to throw a party. I think it's called the end of the world party. I think it's season four, episode six. It's really good. One of the best episodes of the show. So they spend every last dime on cage tigers, VIP security, open bar, I mean, open bar, they have drum lines. I mean, everything. And you got to love the chaotic energy and unwillingness to adapt to the world that John Ralphio brings. You know, he's a dreamer. He's a moronic, image-obsessed memory, like a goldfish one, but he's a dreamer nonetheless. 
And watching him kind of endlessly bounce off the walls and converse with whoever is in shouting distance is kind of a joy to watch. He doesn't care who he's talking to. He's just going to – it's – He's playing, he's playing tennis against, him, against the wall. It doesn't matter who he's with. He just wants to have a conversation where he can shine and kind of just be, you know, the star of the show. And, like, I mean, I just love the honesty. He'll tell strangers that he, he has to throw – he has to leave because he has to go throw up because he ate too much cheese. I mean, like, just the level of honesty and uncaring that he's gross is really funny. He has no qualms about singing loudly that his sister is the worst. And he does that while she's in the room within, like, within shouting distance and she's pretty terrible too. And she kind of sings along with them. They're kind of basically one A and one B of terrible. Or once he cracked a rib while he was dancing too hard with a receptionist, <laughs> he never got it fixed actually either too. So that's just a running joke. He's just the ultimate in excess. And I would love a show kind of highlighting how his father raised him and him, Mona Lisa. That would have been funny. The, his father is actually on the show is Dr. Saperstein played by Henry Winkler for all you old people out there like me, that was uh, the Fonz from Happy Days. But he's actually a really funny older actor too. And I just love to see a show of how, how he created these two, you know, kind of image-obsessed monsters. And I think, I think Mona Lisa, his sister, deserves a pot of her own too. And she'll get one, so don't worry. But for now, I just want to say thank you to Ben Swartz because he brought such fire to a character that had no right to be this charismatic. He learned no lessons. <laughs> he had no character arc. He was just party going, thrill seeking, skirt chasing, arrogance monster, who somehow is universally beloved by all those who enjoy Parks and Rec. I'm in a bunch of Parks and Rec Facebook groups because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and one out of three of the comments is all about John Ralphio. And that's, he's, like I said, he's probably the 11th or 12th build character in the entire show. And yet he gets that much love. So I bid you adieu, John Ralphio. You were a douche comet I shall never forget. Later.